Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to be here with you on this day. And we started today on the book of Esther. We're going to have a bit of an easier reading time this week, only a chapter and a half a day. So I think that is quite comfortable for you to really get into the book of Esther. And uh, today, of course, we're discussing the book of Haggai. And I chose it because it only has two chapters. So it's a real easy book to get around. And it has some pretty powerful lessons that I found very applicable to us today. Just to give you a little bit of background, the Jews were coming back from the captivity uh, while Haggai writes uh, or says these prophecies. They had seen, many of them had seen and witnessed Babylon taking them and had seen Babylon being crushed by the Medes and the Persians as God has had promised. So that was a very powerful thing they witnessed. And then now under Darius, they were returning to their homeland. They begin building, rebuilding Jerusalem. They were focused, though, on building their homes. They started on the temple's foundation, but they became very discouraged by several factors that we're going to go over some, some of them tonight. And so because they were discouraged on the rebuilding of the temple, they focused only on continuing to build their homes and the temple remained in ruins. So what were they fighting? There are a few things that God addresses through Haggai in these two short chapters. Lethargy, you know, laziness. That's a fancy word, fancy way to say laziness. Also indifference and discouragement. Three attitudes that we see in every single generation. Three things that really stop us from the things God would like for us to accomplish and for us to even feel good about ourselves, you know, to feel good about being connected to something, to look at something beyond us. We need to overcome lethargy, indifference, and discouragement. So 15 years pass since the Jews had started uh, coming back to Jerusalem, and Haggai now comes on the scene 15 years later, along with Zechariah. Zechariah was a contemporary, and they're reminding the people that, that while they're there rebuilding Jerusalem, they had stopped or they had forgotten about God. They were trying to get on with their lives, but without the Lord. And so they were going back to that attitude that got them in trouble in the first place, uh, the attitudes their forefathers had about self-service, which really leads to idolatry. So we find here in chapter 1, verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, he says, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So 15 years earlier, the foundation of the temple had been laid. We read about that in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. But nothing more had been done since then. 
the people kind of lost interest. They had faced a number of factors that some made some of them discouraged, made some of them indifferent. And God, now speaking through Haggai, informs them that this was probably the reason why they had a poor economy, a poor social structure, that things weren't really going the way they thought it was going to go. It was partly because God was holding back because they were holding back from the Lord. Nothing seemed to be advancing in their lives in 15 years. No progress. It's like they were stuck in the doldrums. And I'm going to address that in a few minutes. And so God says again through Haggai, is it a time? Remember, they said, it's not the time to build the Lord's house. So God says, oh, it is a time, though, for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, meaning the Lord's house, remains a ruin. Is that what time it is? So whatever difficulties they were facing that discouraged them or made them indifferent about focusing on the Lord house apparently was not affecting building their own house. Oh, no, they were fine with that, uh, even indulging a little bit as God makes reference to their paneled houses. That means kind of fancy houses. Uh, it was high time for them to build their houses so they rationalized. So this is what God encourages them. He says, give careful thought to your ways. This is a phrase we find repeated often throughout the two short chapters in Haggai. Give careful thought to your ways. Another way in other translations would say, consider carefully. And really from the Hebrew, uh, the translation, the literal translation would be, dispose your heart upon. It's really something addressing the heart of the issue. We could kind of translate it and say and ask, well, where is your heart at? What's your heart on? Because this is a matter of your heart. So God wants them to change their heart, change their attitude here through Haggai. So how does this apply to us today? What is the mess or how does the message of Haggai address us? Because it's very easy. I mean, we're coming out of a quarantine. That's almost like coming out of captivity, right? <laughs> so we're like the Jews coming out of captivity. And some of us look around and some of us have become indifferent. Hey, I'll be the first one to confess to you. Some of these days I was like, I don't care what I do. I'm very ho-hum. I'm like, I lost interest in everything. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I got a hammock that I bought in my backyard. I'll just sit there all day. I'll lie there all day long and just ho-hum, you know? I don't want to do anything. Uh, that's indifference, right? That could lead to even a bit of depression, or maybe depression can cause indifference, okay? Lethargy sets in. <laughs> you know, oh, I got all these things to do. Ah, there are too many. I'll just try to do them tomorrow. Today is not the day. Tomorrow is the day. Today is the day to rest. And every day you say that, then things start to pile up, <laughs> right? So that was the attitude. I mean, I think you know what we're talking about here, right? Because I know that some of you have kind of been tempted and gone through some of these things coming out of this captivity that we're coming out of. What is your heart on? Where's your heart at? What's your heart tugging you to do? Or, or what does your heart want you to justify? 
is another way to ask the question. It's not wrong to do some of these things. It's not wrong to take a day off. It's not wrong to lie in your hammock, right? Maybe not for a month, but <laughs> for one day, it's not wrong. <laughs> but we know the heart is a funny thing. We've already been warned about our heart as we look through the prophets, especially Jeremiah. And so where the heart gets involved, we have to be very careful. So God says, give careful thought to your ways. Look at yourself. Where is your heart at? What is your heart disposed on? And then he tells them this. He says, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. You, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. What is he really saying here? He wants us and he wanted them to think carefully about how things are going on with your life. Because as your heart goes, so goes your life. Whatever your heart is set upon, that's the direction you're going to go. And he's telling the people, you know, they were not happy. They were indifferent because things weren't going their way. They felt they were stuck in the mud. They had food, but they weren't satisfied. They had to drink, but they were not satisfied. They were, it's, that, it's, that, it's like they were looking for something, but they weren't finding something. Isn't that, doesn't that describe this generation? Looking, looking, not finding satisfaction, trying a lot of different things. They really didn't have much to show for all the effort that was going on. There wasn't much to show. They were receiving very little ROI, return on investment. Because when your heart is leading you, that's what happens. Your heart has all these big ideas, all these grandiose things. And soon after a little bit of effort, you don't see things going your way. You're like, ah, it's not worth it. Because the heart doesn't have a long view. It has a very short one. <laughs> and if you don't see something right away, some gratification, some instant gratification, you move on to something else. You're not really giving careful thought when you're only focused on the here and now. And you're going to end up being very needy on the long term. So God is trying to intercept that. It's been 15 years and he's trying to say, look, are you going to still keep spinning your wheels here? Build my house. Building your own house is not going to get you anywhere. That's what he's trying to say here. How does this apply to us today? Well, maybe some of us, you know, we're really busy. We're really tired at the end of the day because we've done a lot. But how much do we have to show for all the energy we've spent? You have much to show for it. You don't have enough of your fill. You're not satisfied with your clothes, so you buy more. You got a whole closet full of clothes. Man, you can put on a fashion show for your whole neighborhood. But you're not satisfied. You're not content. Is that what it is? Because that's what he's telling them. You work. You work a lot. Maybe you work two jobs. But you have one dollar in your savings account. What happened? Where's, where, where's it all going? Your purse is full of holes. Why is that? 
Well, God's, God's going to tell them why. <laughs> In a way, they were just focused on getting. They wanted to get something out of it, but they were not giving. They were not giving to the Lord. They were set on satisfying themselves. Their priorities were messed up. And when our priorities are messed up, our blessings will be meager because our heart toward the Lord is meager. And if we're putting him on the back burner like they were, oh, no, no, it's not time for that yet. It's time for me to build my house. I want to get my house all in order. I want to have all the things that I want to have. And then maybe I'll start focusing on the Lord's house. You know that's not going to happen, right? When somebody's thinking that way, you know that's not going to happen. Because when are you going to be satisfied with your house? Never. But there is satisfaction when we put the Lord first. Because when we put the Lord first, something interesting happens. All of a sudden, I'm going to look at my house, my food, my clothes, and I'll be like, I got enough. Whoa, what, what happened there? Something switched in my mind. That's what happens. So here's God's prescription for them. He tells them, he says, come on, get going, guys. Go up into the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, said the Lord. God's instructing them, stop thinking about yourselves for a moment. Just like we sing, let's forget about ourselves and concentrate on. That's what he's telling him. Stop thinking about yourselves. Direct your hearts, he's telling them. Carefully consider. Direct your heart somewhere else. Direct your heart to building my house. What does that mean? He says, go up into the mountains. He's basically telling them, go and cut some trees down. Bring down the timber, right? Prepare the wood that you cut down into lumber so that you can now use it to build my house. Put the pieces of the lumber together. And that involves work, doesn't it? Oh, man, I don't know if I want to do all that work. Yeah, but look at your garden. Look at your pool. Look at your house. It looks all nice and paneled. You put a lot of work in there. Oh, no, I paid somebody else to do that. Oh, maybe that's why your purse has holes. <laughs> Whichever way you look at it, you put a lot of effort when it comes to you. What about the Lord's house? Ah, oh, it's too much work. Oh, I don't have the time. You see how it's very applicable to our generation, his encouragement? That involves work. Yes, you bet it does. <laughs> and so we have to get rid of the lethargy, the procrastination, because we it, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of momentum to get our hearts turned the right way, you know. Uh, but we got to do it. Once we do that, once we start turning our heart all of a sudden, the blinders come off and we see that, no, this is not about instant gratification here. This is about a long-term spiritual investment that is going to bring me wisdom and it's going to put me on the right path. And it's going to help me become a model for the rest of the world, not going back to what the world, you know, competing with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses. That makes my purse be full of holes. Our heart, we know our heart is a poor judge of long-term investment. We can't trust it. 
The heart wants immediate gratification. So how do we put this into the practical today? Well, pretty simple. Go up into the mountain. What does that translate into? <laughs> Go preach the gospel. Where are the trees all around you? At your workplace, in the schools, in your community, in the neighbors. Go out. Go up into the mountain. Go get that lumber. And bring in the repentant. Bring in those who have a heart to want to know the truth. Bring them in. Bring them close. Teach them about the gospel. And step number three, how do we build the house? Make disciples. You got to make them disciples. Isn't that, doesn't that chapter in Haggai, that verse sound exactly like Matthew 28, 19 and 20? 2,000 years, no, uh, what? A few hundred years later, Jesus says the same thing to us. But this is the spiritual application of what Haggai told them. Haggai told them uh, a material application because they were physically building the temple of the Lord. But Jesus now translates that to the spiritual. And this, by the way, is a fulfillment of what Haggai says in chapter 2. Because we're going to get to that in a moment when Haggai tells them that there's going to be a lot, that the, the house that is going to end up being built is going to have a lot more glory, but it's not going to be built with physical lumber, but with living stones. And so for us, we want to go and make those disciples. And we know how to do it. First of all, you got to teach them. And then those who accept that teaching, you baptize them. And then you, those who get baptized, you continue to teach them. And that's how you build the house today. And look at that. In verse 20, Jesus said something very similar to what we're going to hear the Lord telling the people in Haggai's day. Jesus says, I will be with you. I'm with you in this. This is my goal. I'm with you. If you're going to go do this and build the Lord's house, I am with you. This is what I want done. And we're going to see that that's exactly the same thing that God is going to tell the people in Haggai. We got to go out there, preach this gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like our brother Mark shared during the lesson. We got to tell them that Jesus came. We got to tell them that God loves everybody. God loves everyone. God wants you to have a relationship with him. And he wants that so badly that he interceded for us because we're a sinful people. We've got an issue with sin. We can't just come and approach God. We have to make sure that our heart is turned the right way and not to the world. And so this gospel needs to be heard. It needs to be told. And God is going to reach some people with that gospel. And they're going to want to know more. You bring them in. You bring them in. You teach them. And those who want to accept this message can be baptized, as Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says. We bring those repentant into the water and we make disciples by baptizing them so God now can put his spirit in them. And so he's going to build a house that's much more glorious than the former one because all of that house, all that spiritual house is going to be people with one heart in one direction towards God, towards the gospel. So what is it that holds us back? Because when disciples make disciples, that's when the church nowadays grows. That's when we build the church. It's not just baptizing. 
But Jesus didn't just end it there. He says, teach them to obey. That's the hard part. Well, some of you might say it's all hard. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is, right? It's hard cutting a tree. It's hard making that tree into usable lumber and it's hard putting the lumber together. All parts are hard, right? But some of you have more talents in one areas than the other. I'm not too good with a hammer. I'll hammer all my fingers before I hit the nail on the head. But some of you might really be good with a hammer. Some of you might not be really good with a saw. I'm a whiz with the saw. That I can do. I can saw things. I'll saw through everything. And so we each have different talents that we combine to make this happen. That's why it takes a church. That's why it takes us making disciples so that God's house can be built. And he can take pleasure in that. And he says, I am with you. That's his goal. He's with you in this. But what holds us back sometimes? Well, I already mentioned it. Distraction holds us back. Indifference holds us back. And discouragement holds us back. And so we have to fight this just like the people in Haggai's day needed to fight. And God has some things that he can tell us on how to fight that. Or, or he identifies the problem, really, here in, in uh, Haggai 1.9. He talks about distraction. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. <laughs> what you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because my house remains a ruin. And you're too busy building your own house. This is like the story of Mary and Martha. Remember that? One of them was just distracted. And when you get distracted, you complain. You become OCD. You become too focused on details that at the end of the day don't really matter. At the end of 100 years won't matter. But I, can, I, I, I agree with you. I get distracted. You know, when I mow the lawn, I see one, I missed one blade. I got to go back. Something in me says, you got to go back and cut that blade. It's got to be even. I don't know. It's just, just something I do. <laughs> and sometimes I have to... It takes a lot of momentum to bring the heart back. Say, forget about that. Focus on, be like that with the things of God. How about that? That's what I tell myself. Be like that with the things of God, not the things of, of the earth, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a big ship to turn, but it's turning. It's turning with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we expect a lot. You know, we fill our head with things. Bad expectation or wrong expectations will lead to distraction and will lead to discouragement. Sometimes that happens in the church. You know, we, we're like, man, you know, uh, 10 years ago, we were more than we are now. What happened? And we get discouraged. Some of us go evangelizing, and we get discouraged. Oh, only one person, only two? Yeah, I only got three numbers, and, and I called, and, and they were all fake. <laughs> That's discouraging. <laughs> That makes me, well, I'm not going to do anything anymore. You know, and so we have to fight that. But I think it has a lot to do also with us taking credit for things. Because the way God does things, he does them in a way where it, he wants it to be obvious that he's the one involved doing this. We try, you know, we're like little ants. We try and nothing much comes of our efforts. But then God blesses us and we're like, oh, that was the Lord. And that's what God wants to hear from us. The Lord did this. Wow, look at this person. You know, we didn't even preach and they came here. That's so that the Lord can take credit, not you. <laughs> and so we have to be careful where our heart goes because our intentions may be great, 
I'm sure those Jews in Haggai's day had great intentions and, you know, they could reasonably explain to you why they got discouraged or indifferent. But the good intentions didn't accomplish what God wanted them to do, which was to build his house. So how do we put this into practice? We have to stop being more preoccupied about our self, about our temporary situation here, and really focus on how we're going to build the Lord's house. Because we got to do that together. It just doesn't fall on me. It just doesn't fall on 20% of the people here. They say 20% do 100% of the work. We, we can't let the world define how that's going to go. If we're going to be in the Lord's house and we're going to be the Lord's people, if we're that remnant that he's talking about, then we've, there is something for us to do. There is something God is doing. He says, I am with you. But he wants us to at least try to take those steps in that direction. You may be scared. You may be terrified. But that's okay because he can work with that. He can work with our uh, meager efforts as long as they're directed towards doing it for him. He'll work with that. Will you put off a project in your house to help someone in need in your neighborhood? Will you put off building that new bathroom that's going to cost you $10,000 to help somebody in need? Because that's how we build the Lord's house. Will you downgrade in order to help someone else? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves because we got a lot of plans. And most of them are about our paneled houses. But what about the plans to build the Lord. And you may say, well, Pedro, I saw our blueprints. We got plans to build a church over there in Hopal. That's fine and dandy, but I don't want to see a building empty because what counts are the people inside it. That's when the Lord is with us. And I believe the Lord has a plan for us, yes, but it involves us also making a plan and setting our hearts towards that. Now that we're now that we're coming out of captivity, especially now. Will you build? Will whatever it is that you're going to do, will you do it with the kingdom in mind? And I appreciate this a lot of you, especially this past month in May. So many of you, and you know why? I know it was I know it was from the Lord. I get hundreds of emails a day of all kinds of people and all kinds of needs, and most of the time I I can't do much for them. And I really only pay attention to those that I know of. I know these people. I can vet them. I know what they're going through. And last month, May in particular, was a really, really tough month for some brethren. And out of the blue, I start getting calls. Pedro, what can I do? I want to give this much. How can I give it? Three or four of you called. And I knew it was the Lord. And I directed each of you towards what you could do. And you helped some people more than you ever know. You helped them over some really tough situations. And I thank you for that. That's, that's the kind of focus. I want to build, yes, but I want to build with the kingdom in mind. Paying attention to the Lord's house first. Because then whatever I do is going to be bountiful. And of course, we don't want to do it for that. We got to be careful, right? Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to give a lot so I can get a lot. <laughs> Let's not think that way. Let's have our hearts set on building our, uh, the Lord's house. Look what he says here in verse 11. I called for a drought, 
on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. God called for a drought. Man, that's what, I, that's what it felt like for me, honestly, this year and a half. I'm like, I was like counting all the things that were going wrong. Okay, what else can we add to the list? What else can we pile on here, Lord? What else are you going to pile on? Sickness, death, issues. It's a lot. A lot of you put up with a lot. It felt like a drought. Do you feel like you're going through a spiritual drought? Like you're feeling numb about your surroundings, your relationships? Nothing matters. That's what a spiritual drought feels like. God is describing a physical one here, but it could be a spiritual one. And really, your emotions, your thinking reflect that spiritual state that you're in. They felt like nothing they did mattered. And God here is telling them why. He's saying all that your hands are trying to produce here, because it's going in the wrong direction, I blew it away. I called for this drought to refocus you. And maybe that's what God's trying to do for you, for those of you who feel like you're in a drought of sorts. Your heart needs to be redirected. You need to carefully consider what you're doing, which is God's message in Haggai. Give careful thought to your words. Set your heart on a different path because I'm trying to get your attention. That's God calling you out. How do we do this? Well, the way of overturning this is focus on building the house of the Lord. And, and it started to happen. Look here in verse 12. There was a quick turnaround. Zerubbabel, who was the governor at that time of Jerusalem. Joshua, who was the high priest. All the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord. Wow, you hardly hear this in the prophets. right? But in Haggai, all of a sudden, right there, a few days later, the people were like, oh man, you know, yeah, we got to do this. Let's repent. Let's turn. And this was very encouraging because as they turned, they feared the Lord. They took it seriously that God would be with them. But notice here, it starts with the leaders. It started with Zerubbabel, the governor. It started with Joshua, the high priest. They had to start making a plan and say, okay, you know what? We got to turn this ship around. We got to put our hearts in the right way. And I'm sure Haggai was happy that they were all taking this message very seriously. And that's when God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep going. You're going the right way. He gives them reassurance. And then in verse 14, it says that the Lord stirred up their spirit. Have you ever felt that? I mean, have you ever been in a spiritual drought of sorts? And you're like lazy, you're indifferent, you know, you're like nothing. In, in, in Puerto Rico, we have a phrase for that. Uh, it translates to say, he can't even smell the flowers. You know, that, that's how deep in his funk he is. <laughs> he can't even smell the flowers. Sounds funnier in Spanish, I know. So then all of a sudden, you're like, man, what is going on? And you, maybe you pray, maybe you read a verse in the Bible, maybe you hear a sermon, maybe you hear a song. 
and your spirit is stirred up. Maybe you have a conversation with somebody and your spirit is stirred up because you know you got to move. You got to head in a different direction here. And so that's what God did. He stirred up their spirit and they began to work on the house of the Lord. Verse 14 says, if you have a desire, all it takes is a spark. You know where you're at, but you know God is with you. All it takes is a spark to want to move in the right direction. And God can help provide the momentum that you need to get your heart out of that funk and become productive in the Lord. It can happen. And so it happened for them. But then right after it happened, guess what? The third hurdle <laughs> comes into play because Satan's always trying to stop the effort. And so they got discouraged right away. Why did they get discouraged? Well, many of them who had returned from the Babylonian captivity, because, you know, this, this happened in a, in a course of 70 years, so some people were alive. They remembered, even though they might have been very young, they remembered Solomon's temple. And, you know, when you're a little kid, things seem bigger than what they really are. Some of those people, you know, they were older by then, but they had this idea, Solomon's temple, and they were looking at, at the house of the Lord, and they were like, I don't know, man. <laughs> it doesn't seem so good. I don't think we're going in the right direction here. They got discouraged. It's kind of like when we go out evangelizing. And we're like, yeah, oh, hey. And we're knocking on the door and somebody comes down and says, ah, get out of my And then all of a sudden now you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. You get discouraged easily. We do. But we just have to acknowledge that. It's really a test of our resolve. Who are you doing this for you? Or are you doing it for the Lord? That's what that's testing. Because if you're doing it for you, you won't even go in again. You're, you'll say, well, it's not time. You'll be like, like the people were at the beginning. It's not for me. Or it's not time. Well, don't complain then when the Lord blows away your meager things. Because he's trying to get your attention. Don't complain when he does that. So yeah, even Ezra talks about that. Ezra chapter 3 says how the people were crying. Some people were laughing and shouting because they had never seen the temple. So they saw something being built up and they're like, yeah, and they were happy and excited like me. And, and some of the people were crying and you couldn't tell if there was crying or joy because all the sounds were kind of meshed together. That's what Ezra says. There was a lot of emotion that day. But you know, you're, you're your own worst critic, really, when it comes to this. You're your own worst enemy. And so how do we overcome that discouragement? Don't go by your expectations. Go by God's. God says, go and build. I'm with you. That's all that matters. Remember Jeremiah. Nobody ever responded to his message, and yet he was called to preach. He must have been really discouraged. Don't let anyone discourage you. Don't allow yourself to discourage you. Always go by God's message. And here he is saying to them again, be strong. And he's directing every one of them, the leaders first, Zerubbabel, be strong. He's telling the high priest, be strong. Be stronger than your heart. Be stronger than your expectations. Be stronger than the criticism. 
Don't listen to it. You go and keep trying. You know, in our neighborhood in Levittown, you know, sometimes it seems very meager and sometimes I'm like, why do I do this? <laughs> you know, we've tried to have live talks in our house. We've invited people and the Chans are with us. You know, the Chans had live talks. We had live talks when the Smallsties were here. We had live talks. We, we kind of were always trying to have some kind of live talks rotating between our houses, trying to get our neighbors to come, trying to get our co-workers to come. And, and sometimes one person would be there. <laughs> we'd be like those people in Haggai. Yay! <laughs> and some of them were like, you know, I invited all these people and they didn't come. A lot of emotion. But we got to trust the Lord in this. Don't trust your emotion because, you know, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get indifferent. Just keep doing it. It's long-term investment. Look, I've been watering my peach tree for four years. Finally, this summer, I'm like, I can't believe this. 20 times more little peaches than ever before. 20 times. Of course, about half of them have fallen on the ground already. And I'm like, please don't let anyone. I said, can I just have one peach? <laughs> Only one? I'm aiming for one. <laughs> uh, and, but I keep going. I keep going. My lawn was a disaster when we moved into the house. I said, we're going to turn this around. The Lord and I are going to turn this around. And God cares about my lawn as much, as much as he cares about a flower. And he says he does, doesn't he? He dresses up the flowers. He, he knows when a little bird falls off the ground. So I say, Lord, can we have a nice lawn? Can we have a good peach tree? And God blesses it. But I know that God cares more about the souls to build his house. So if I can be patient and if I can keep going with insignificant things that not, are not going to be here 100 years from now, how much more than should I have that mentality towards continuing my meager little efforts that I don't think will amount to much, but God's working something. I have to trust him. He says, I am with you. When you do this, when you're dedicating to building my house, I'm with you. Be strong. Don't be indifferent. Don't get discouraged. I'm working something here. Trust me. Do you see how applicable this message is to us? And so here we see Christ in the book of Haggai. Here at the end of this chapter, it's all about the future. It's all about the hope that he wants to instill in these people. Because, of course, they're, they're looking at a physical temple and, and a bad one at that. It definitely doesn't have the glory Solomon's temple had. And they were kind of wondering, man, is God going to be happy with this? But God's saying, look, you're focusing on the wrong thing here. And then he tells them this. He says, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations. And what is desired by all nations, Jesus Christ, he's going to come. And I'm going to fill this house with glory. He's kind of saying that tongue in cheek because he's kind of referring to a physical house. But at the same time, he's referring to the one that we're building in this day and age too. The silver is mine, the gold is said, look, don't worry about the material stuff. I own everything. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And it's going to be more glorious, not because it's going to be built with costly stones and gold and all these things, but 
because Jesus Christ's spirit will be in it. Because my spirit will dwell in it. And in that place, I will grant peace. Now, of course, the meaning of this is applicable to the, to the Messiah. This is a messianic prophecy right here. But at the same time, this is speaking about our house that we're currently building. And it's also referring to the end times too, when we all go to heaven. Most of the prophecies can have dual or triple meanings like that. A meaning in the present time when it was being addressed, a meaning of fulfillment in the messianic age, a meaning of fulfillment in the kingdom age in which we are right now, and of course a fulfillment when Jesus comes back. A lot of prophecies have multiple meanings like that. He was probably referring to immediate political upheavals that were going to occur when he says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. But we know the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 26 also made a reference to this passage in Haggai. And he made a reference to it as when the judgment of the nations would come, when Jesus would come again, desired of all nations. We sing about that, right? Come desire of, I don't know if I'm singing in the right tune, but it's a Christmas song, right? Come desire of nations. Come. What is that talking about? That's talking about this. This is a reference from Haggai. He's the desire, what all nations want. Of course, they don't know what they want. They think they want silver and gold or power. That's not what they want. They want Jesus. They don't, they don't know it, but that's what they want. And that's what we're here to give. So God says, don't give up. Build my house. I am with you. And there I'm going to grant peace. That's where people will find peace. And so we end Haggai. We end Haggai with a parable. It's a bit confusing at first. Um, but you'll get the point of the parable. So the parable was intended for them not to become disillusioned, not to become discouraged, not to become lethargic or indifferent in what God wanted them to become involved. So that's the point of this parable, okay? So the parable begins in Haggai chapter 2, verse 12, where now Haggai is before some of the priests, and he's quizzing them. He's giving them a little quiz. And he says, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, wine, olive oil, or something, does it become consecrated in other words, is holiness communicable? Think about that piece of meat. The piece of meat he's referring to is one of the sacrifices that was given. So when a sacrifice is offered, we know, according to the laws of Deuteronomy, that sacrifice becomes holy. And the priest who eats that consecrated meat has to be holy. He cannot be in a state of, of uh, desecration or uh, defile. He has to make sure he's holy and he can only eat it in the holy place. He can't eat it outside. So God is asking them or Haggai is asking the priest. A, it's not really a trick question. It's a basic question that all of them should have known. Is holiness communicable? And of course they said no. And they were correct. Holiness is not communicable. If I take something holy, it doesn't necessarily make something else holy. Then he asked them a second question. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, 
touches one of the holy things, does it become defiled? So he's asking them, is uh, sinfulness or uh, uh, defilement, is that communicable? And of course the priest said, yes, it is. <laughs> so holiness is not communicable, but defilement is, uncleanliness is. That's why the lepers, you know, have to cover their mouth and their faces and yell, unclean, unclean, because if you would touch them even by accident, then you would become unclean. And we know, you know, in medicine and science, we know that there's truth to that. Germs are communicated by contact. We should all know that coming out of quarantine, right? That's why we wore masks. That's why we were socially distant, because unfortunately those things are communicated upon contact. In the physical realm, we know that to be true. Dirty water will discolor or make clean water unclean. Now, it is true in the moral realm, too. This is the point of this parable. It is true in the moral realm. If I allow my heart to entertain or to get set on, because remember, the point is, the point here is give careful thought to your ways, consider your ways. He's asking them, what is your heart set upon? So if my heart is not totally set upon the Lord, but is partly set on the world, then what's going to happen with the efforts that I try to give God? See the point that he's trying to make? That's what he said in verse 14. He said, so it is with this people and this nation. Whatever they do, whatever they offer, will be defiled. If our heart is not in the right place, if we still want to be very much involved in the world, and we know we have to live in the world, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We have to, we got to be in the world. But if our heart wants the world, John says, don't love anything in the world. But if we want to love it, then yes, everything that we want to do for God is going to be meager. It's not going to be blessed. And not just that, whatever you do in your life, there's no satisfaction. Remember all the stuff we said in Ecclesiastes? That all will apply to you because you want to live under the sun. S-O-N. And not under the sun, S. Sorry, the other way around. You want to live under the sun, S-U-N, and not under the sun, S-O-N. And so that's how the book of Haggai finish it off. And that's why, again, he'll finish off here in verse 15. Give careful thought. This is like the fourth or fifth time he repeats it in the book. Give careful thought. Consider how things are going. Don't allow your heart to take over, whether it's in fear, anxiety, immediate gratification. Give careful thought to what you're investing here in your heart. And redirect that to the Lord. Just remember, God is with you. Be strong. He is with you. And he's empowered you beyond your understanding to build his house. Let's build the house of the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. 
You can also contact me on Twitter at kingdom underscore saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.